Coming up in this episode. One thing that struck me was the the pain, uh, the the body aches, and I know that's not coming in lightly from someone who is a f- former UK Ironman champion. Triathlons are some of the most painful endurance uh, events. How d- does COVID compare? I'm sure you've had colds and flus in the past. How much more painful was this than some of? the other experiences that you've had in your life, whether on the athletic side or on the illness side? How does the pain that I experienced compared to that? Um, it was it was a very different sign of pain. It was very much in the insertions in my hips and in my lower back. I, I kind of, um, I, it's kind of akin to what I think that it would, ex- like a rheumatoid arthritis would feel like, um, where the actual just the total like inflammation like hot pain as it were yeah welcome to the hvmn podcast what we do with our bodies today becomes the foundation of who we are tomorrow this is health via modern nutrition this is your host jeffrey Wu, and i'm really excited to be joined by dr tamsin lewis what a crazy last few months the last time Tam and I were hanging out. We were at the gym doing a swim, doing a hot sauna, and fast forward a couple months. We're at the start of April now, and a lot has happened in the world, and a lot has happened, I'm sure, in your neck of the woods, Tam. How are you doing? It's, it's been a very difficult time on multiple levels, but um, yeah, it's it's good to check in, and hopefully the information that we talk about is is going to be relevant to people, and they can they can take some, something from it without feeling the anxiety that a lot of us have been feeling about what's going on in the world right now. Yeah, no, 100%. I think we've been talking offline over the last few weeks, and I would say that you're one of the doctors, especially out of the United Kingdom, who is starting to take the COVID-19 very, very seriously. I know that over the last couple months, it went from something that was very foreign, something that didn't seem that was going to necessarily impact our daily lives, where the advice from the health authorities was, you know, do business as usual, keep going to restaurants, keep doing your doing your life. And I think some of the early rumblings were, hey, we should be treating this much more seriously. And that was an interesting insight from your part, being an early vocal person about that on social media. Uh, but then you had a personal, very visceral, and you know, still ongoing experience with COVID-19 personally. Love to just get the deep dive there where is your head at now you know I, I had the energy to go back on social media this week and um, share some of my experiences but for nearly two weeks when I was in the, in the depth of it I really didn't have the energy to to, to really outside um, the people that I'm close to, to to talk about it um, so when we last spoke like I say you know I was I was having advice and information from people um, at various levels and medical and also government that that we should potentially be a bit more concerned about this virus than a, a lot of people were so I, I I actually um you know restricted my time going into town quite early on but I think it was a bit too too late for me I came across um probably three or four different people who now in hindsight were diagnosed as sort of with time retrospectively were diagnosed with COVID or what looked like COVID um, and so I myself came down with 
um, what did turn out to be diagnosed, and yes, I was lucky enough to get a test as a health professional. I was diagnosed with COVID-19 uh, on the 27th of March, I think it was, but my first symptoms started in on the 14th of March. Um, and I literally, I remember it quite vividly. Um, I had dinner with a friend and started to feel my heart rate. I'm, you know, I, I'm going to preempt all of this by saying I am hugely self-aware. And I think that comes from my background as an athlete and also as a doctor and also the fact I wear like a million wearables and have done. Um, so I'm very conscious of subtle changes in my body. So I was having dinner and I got home and I, my heart rate, I could just feel my heart in my chest a bit higher than normal. Started to feel a bit shivery, had sort of like abdominal pain in the right of my stomach. And I thought I was ovulating, um, which was a bit strange. But, you know, some women do have ovulation pain in the middle of the month, and I do occasionally. Uh, anyway, went to bed, and it was very hot that night. Um, I had my aura ring on, as, as, as I said, and I woke up in the night, and I do wake up, you know, a couple of times in the night, go to the bathroom. I was so weak. I felt like my body had just been, a, like, engrossed with this um this just heat and feeling of fatigue and it it was tiring to pick up the cup um in the night to have a sip of water anyway woke up in the morning my aura ring score was like 48 um which has only ever happened before when i've had a terrible hangover um and negated on sleep so and it said your body temperature is raised your heart rate is you know 15 if not more above average, I think it was 15 or 17 above average, my respiratory rate was increased. Um, and it basically said to me, you're not well. And I felt pretty horrible, but I felt, didn't feel like I did in the night. If you know, I, I kind of got up, I could go about my daily uh, activities. I took a blood test myself because that's kind of what I do occasionally because I'm obsessed with the uh, biomarkers and data. I also, and I also wanted to check whether, you know, what this pain in my stomach was if there was any infection if it was if my estrogen level was through the roof and it was an ovulation or a cyst or something like that so I did a blood test I also started on Tamiflu because back in on the 14th of March um, there was some evidence that Tamiflu potentially could help early stages of the illness and I think it did do something I don't know quite what um, um, but it wasn't no I do know what quite what but you know we can't measure it it definitely decreased my temperature so the next night I had a temperature of a slight increase of 1.1 Fahrenheit as opposed to the first night when Aura recorded at the plus 3.3 um, so I felt slightly better so what it did is is kind of lift my energy like I felt quite um, agitated anxious um, definitely not tired I had like sweaty palms sweaty underpits and I was still working and you know, remotely I was dealing with a lot of client inquiries etc logistics so that if you can think that's the first few days the blood test came back the same day and it showed a reduced lymphocyte count and lymphocyte is a type of white blood cell now Lymphocytes specifically, a decrease in lymphocyte count has been associated with um, or is associated with uh, viral illness. And we know that in COVID-19, the lymphocyte count decreases. So that was kind of a red flag. Um, I also had an ALT, which is one of the liver enzymes, and that was up, as was my LDH, all signs of an infection. 
Now, still, even at that time, I kind of didn't want to believe I had COVID. I thought, look, it could be anything. It could just be a flu. Um, I should preempt this by saying in January, I came back from Thailand, uh, sort of January the 10th, and I had similar symptoms then with like slightly tight chest uh, around my trachea, the central portion, felt very tired. I did not have a fever. Now, I do not know, and I'm thinking about this on, on reflection and having talked to a number of medical professionals, that perhaps I had an early insult of, um, of COVID when I was in Thailand and then had an additional insult from a different strain when I was in London that could potentially explain why I was hit so bad. Anyway, to continue with the story, if you can imagine, so the Tamiflu I took for three days, I think it made me feel quite sort of agitated and quite activated. Um, and I don't know if it had an effect on the virus load, but I kind of felt okay. I decided at that point that I would, not, not still not thinking it was COVID-19, I was thinking, look, I just want to get out of London before a, you know, a few people that in the know were saying we're going to get shut down. I wanted to get out of London, being in my family, um, if anything went wrong. So I, I basically got in the car with my daughter and my au pair and drove to Devon, which is in the country, um, three hours out of London. Um, once I was in the country, I basically isolated in a house because um, I thought at that time maybe it could be this. I started to develop a tight chest very wheezy, very tight, and then a little bit of speech and production cough in the back of my throat. Um, I, I called NHS 111, which is essentially our what everyone is being told to do in the UK. It's kind of like a central point of contact. They are overwhelmed. They told me that I just needed to rest um, and that if I had access to something to measure my blood oxygen saturations, that would be helpful. I ordered something on Amazon and I got it. Um, I started to take an antibiotic, which I had prescribed by a private practitioner of mine because I felt that I potentially had a chest infection. Uh, again, uh, we weren't quite sure it was COVID at this point. Um, so I started taking azithromycin. I think the chest symptoms got a little bit better. Um, then on day seven, I literally developed this agonizing pain in my body specifically in my hip flexors um, and my lower back like my SI joint and I felt like the body was on fire um, which was actually the point where I started to get really worried I was kind of on my own with my five-year-old and um, a young au pair who was isolated from her, her family I called a few doctors including the NHS 111 and they said look if you have shortness of breath or any worsening of breath then you need to go to A&E um, and at that point I, it was it was touch and go whether whether I did I ended up just getting a heavy painkiller prescribed to help deal with the pain and I'm not joking it was worse than any pain I've experienced in any Ironman event um, and I also had this anti-malarial drug hydroxychloroquinone which has been shown, you know, obviously your president has talked endlessly about it being a miracle. It, it is not a miracle, although it does seem to have some efficacy if used early on in the illness against replication of the virus and particularly development of chest symptoms. So I started taking that and it did help my chest symptoms without a doubt because I became very weak and I don't know if the two were correlated. I seem to think it made me um, a bit weaker. Um, 
so I started that, the, the antibiotic, and then I had this hiatus where chest seemed to improve, energy seemed to improve from sort of day nine to 14. And I was doing a little bit more every day, going for walks, a little bit longer walks, doing a bit of yoga. And then I, the, the longer walk, where I literally feel like an idiot saying this because it's my, it's my mindset, I tried a little run up one of the hills and I had this pain in my chest like this quite severe pain in my chest, which literally took me aback, even though my energy felt okay on that day. Um, and my knees, um, both of them kind of swelled up, both signs of general inflammation. I've, I've not had that. Um, and I got home, I started to shiver, and then I basically had to get into bed, um, and I got a fever again overnight, lots of cold sweats, um, and felt absolutely exhausted. So it was almost like, something had been re-triggered, like the virus was just like reactivated and it was at a low level. Um, I think also what happened is I I probably, you know, did a bit too much too soon, both with the exercise and through other aspects of my life, thinking I was a bit better. Um, developed like a head cold, like I got this kind of sinus infection. Um, and I've not... I'm not prone to sinus infections and my whole like my sinuses like swelled up they were painful to touch all these strange things happening um and I think it's a, it's a sign essentially of a dysregulated immune system um I'm not we haven't quite worked out why my immune system has become so dysregulated um but obviously I'm coming out the other side of it now I'm day 19 today as we speak and um have been doing very little because it's it definitely scared me um, to to be knocked on my back and having to stay in bed for forty eight pretty much forty eight hours apart from to get up and eat soup and some collagen decaf coffee um, with coconut cream. Um, so, I my my story here is you know just to try and say to people that you know there's a lot of um, sort of contempt for the rules and for this social isolation early on and you know people were saying that only we've just got to protect the old and the sick and and then stories started to come out that um that actually you know there would be you know triathletes were getting affected by this you know a friend of a friend literally his 55 year old fit triathlete um uh, triathlete friend who was in mount sinai died and he had no pre-existing conditions, nothing. So what I'm trying to say is that, that we need to have a little bit of caution around this illness, that we not need to take symptoms seriously. We need to monitor symptoms and we need to, you know, ask for help or when you know early on in the illness, because by the time people are getting admitted to hospital, it you know, that's when it can be a little bit too late. And there's a lot we can potentially do in the early stages of illness. The biggest one is like rest staying away from other people um not you know looking looking at what you're eating drinking avoiding stimulants um and you know really sort of reaching out to your practitioner um, and getting advice do you need to start on an antiviral do you need to start on an antibiotic do you have a device that can measure your home oxygen saturations all of the above because you know um home care is essential here and part of what I've been doing in my work is trying to enable people to care for themselves at home worst case scenario that they don't um they don't get into hospital um like I said for me when I first when I got this you know it was 
relatively early on in the pandemic in London, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much, we are going essentially nearly the way of Italy, and we've really got to look at how to backpedal here. And my, my experience has been quite frightening. And the only, one of the things that has helped me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we have a million cases globally now, and approximately a thousand folks in America are dying per day, and we're still on that ramp up exponential curve. I mean, I think, it, it, again, just from a per- personally and from an audience perspective, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story because I think people are scared. People don't really have good access to information. But I think your background as a medical doctor, your background as a world-class athlete who had, you know, my understanding, no no comorbidities, very healthy, very fit, and just checking in with really detailed information of symptoms, your responses, uh, kind of your protocol, I think is a really useful template because I don't think people have the opportunity to have a long-form discussion on what this kind of looks like. And I think this snapshot, this N equals one from someone who has that medical background that has... Pre- experience treating patients across a number of diseases, I think is very, very valuable. Not to, to say that this is medical advice for the general public, but just this case study of yourself is informative for folks that will might have to make decisions on how they best take care of themselves. No, for sure. I think uh, sharing some of the things that I have felt helpful and sharing some of the side effects of things that I potentially haven't, haven't been helpful. Um, you know, for example, you know, my experience with Tamiflu, I think probably it was a wrong decision in retrospect. Uh, and the advice I've been given from, from ITU, intensive ICU, you call it, um, consultant since is that it probably doesn't help and it can even suppress your initial immune system response, which is, I think, what happened, which is why I had one fever and then I took the Tamiflu and I didn't get a fever. So that impacting of my initial immune response might have actually been um, um, of detriment. So that's one thing I've learned. Uh, since secondary, I've learned that acetaminophen, as you call it, paracetamol in the UK, was definitely not strong enough for some of the pain relief. We now we know that we shouldn't use non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like neurofen, tyl- um, what, I don't know what you call it, um, Voltarol, Voltaren, Diclofenac, any yeah, of those. Yeah, Tylenol. Things. Looking after your yeah immune system response is key. Anyone with asthma or any other lung condition, COPD, CF, obviously those vulnerable individuals need to reach out to their primary care providers fairly soon on in any symptoms because I have learned that there's a lot of people calling me going, oh, I've just got a cough. I just feel a little bit tired. I'm like, this illness affects people so differently at different times. It has a long course trajectory. For example, like, you know, I thought I was over it at, at sort of day nine, and then, you know, you go downhill again. So I think it's keeping, it's being prepared that you have to be in this for the long haul. And having that patience in today's society is really difficult, you know. Um, you know, we think we're doing all the right things, but actually, you know, taking time out, resting, and rest means not being on, and I learned this as well, not being on 1,700 phone calls to different people who are taking, you know, from your energy or wanting something, because even if you're not moving, that's still, you know, energy. So, you know, listen, like a general cough, malaise may develop into a more um, severe form of, of COVID-19, or it may not. 
your husband, your wife, your child, everyone is, seems to be affected differently by, that, by this illness. And we don't seem to really be able to predict, other than people that have huge comorbidities, who it's going to affect. So just be mindful of the different symptoms. Try not to worry about their progression, but accept the progression and, you know, reach out um, for help. And when I say progression of symptoms, I mean development of chest pain, development um, of um, severe joint and muscle aches. There was an article published today in one of the British um, broadsheets, um, which is based on some um, research data that's done on blood biomarkers and radiography. So it's, it's saying that if you develop severe joint aches or muscle pains uh, relatively early on in the illness, that's more likely to be a prognostic indicator of a more severe form of the illness. And therefore, people like that should be monitored more closely. As I remember saying to you earlier when we've been speaking today, when I developed that on day seven, it was pretty frightening because it was, I literally felt like my, like I said, my pelvis and hips were on fire. Um, and so for whatever reason, I have a particular virulent form of the illness. I also have the biomarker ALT, as I said, that was raised, the low lymphocytes. All of those are indicators of more severe infection. Now, why I have that, we don't know. Um, as I said, it, it might be that it's, you know, in my history as an endurance athlete, it means I run, you know, high glucocorticoid levels and almost like you know, got a little bit of cortisol resistance in that sense because it's what my body's used to and I'm a type A, I push myself hard in most aspects of life and that can be immunosuppressive. You can take as many million supplements as you want, you can eat keto, you can eat clean, um, but if you neglect the basics on stress stress and stress management, sleep, community, passion, power, all of those things, then, you know, there is this aspect of dysregulation in the immune system which means it's overreacting or underreacting in some in some capacity yeah i think that's it is an interesting point i might have misspoken i want to correct myself not put misinformation out there Tylen tylenol is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug and i know that there's been some early literature to avoid nsaids and go for uh other types of painkillers or fever suppressants but I, I think this is just definitely very fast moving so Again, I think Tamiflu, which might be good for anti-inflammatories for something like the flu, might not necessarily transfer or be beneficial for COVID, which just seems like it replicates from your experience. Tamiflu, we should probably rectify it. Tamiflu is a licensed medication for the treatment of influenza, which is a virus. So the whole concept here is that there is crossover of antiviral killing activity, for a want of a better term. So that the, the initially we thought that Tamiflu could, could you know, actually have anti, direct antiviral activity. Um, we know that either the coronavirus is clever and out, outwits it, um, and the Tamiflu can have a direct effect on the immune system aside from that. Um, so the other type of drugs that have been used and are being used and are being trialed when people are asking about are these are the HIV drugs, um, like, um, lipinavir, ritinavir, all of these kind of drugs that prevent the uh, the reactivation of the virus uh, of HIV. So they use for what they call post-exposure prophylaxis. So if you've been in contact with someone that has HIV, for example, or um, 
you, they are drugs that are used to treat HIV infection to reduce the effective viral load. Because what happens in this illness, and these drugs are being used in hospitals um, around the world. Uh, I have not taken any. Um, you know, I've, I've had advice that maybe, you know, if this virus continued to progress on the chest, that, that it's something that I could use, but I have not personally used them. Um, so reducing the viral load in the body is important. As I mentioned before, what seems to happen is your immune system activates, gets the viral load down, and then um, if you potentially do too much, your immune system in, in its suppressed state gets another infection like a sinus infection or just a common cold, and then the immune cascade, so your immune system response goes crazy, that can also cause what they, what they think is inflammation in the lungs as well. So yeah. It's, it's, it's being very mindful of, of your behavior, I think. Yeah. And I think you just mentioned like the cytokine storm where it's either your immune system is so suppressed where it can't fight back or there's the, there's other symptoms or other present, other presentations of the disease where you have a cytokine storm, you have an overreaction of your immune system and that causes acute respiratory distress syndrome. So it is this fine balance of what one can do uh, through their sleep, rest, diet, nutrition, and then what can one do with uh, pharmaceuticals or drugs or, or more more of like these kind of medical interventions. And I think the protocols are still being defined. Uh, you mentioned using hydroxychloroquine, which, as you mentioned, Donald Trump was uh, hyping up potentially prematurely where some of the folks at CDC have walked that back a little bit, uh, but there are ongoing trials. It is being used off-label in a number of different hospital systems today. Obviously, it's designed as anti-malaria drug, and there are fairly serious side effects with hydroxychloroquine, so it's not something you necessarily take lightly, but it'd be helpful to get your personal thoughts on how that drug was beneficial for you. Uh, what were the side effects? How did it net out for you? Listen, I've I've been in touch with a lot of the research around hydroxychloroquine, and and you know actually had some. We ordered some uh, probably six weeks ago now because um, we were looking at early 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 study data before the French trial came out. I don't think we know yet who it's beneficial for in particular. I think from, from what I've heard and from what I know is that it partitions as a drug. Um, and what I mean is it that you know some of the drug in itself kind of stains the lungs, for want of a better world. And, and as it stains the lungs, that kind of has a direct antivirus activity. So um, the people that die of this illness tend to get what they call acute respiratory distress distress syndrome, ARDS, which then descends into pneumonia, secondary bacterial infection, and, and that, that's when it all goes wrong. This drug seems to, as I said, by its effect directly on the lungs, stop the viral replication in the lungs. Now, the point at which is best to take it is of dispute. Um, some doctors are saying you should take it at the first sign of a cough or any fever or any symptoms whatsoever. Some people are saying, going even further, to say that you should take a prophylactic dose, which is like a once to twice weekly dose of it to stop um, 
you know, to, to kind of like load up your lung tissue so that the virus isn't, it's not attractive to the lung virus. It can't take hold. My experience with it personally uh, is that, and I was convinced by probably four different doctor friends to take it because I'm young, fit, healthy, apparently 40. <laughs> I feel that young or fit anymore. Um, but as, as, as normal normative scales go, I'm relatively healthy, um, being a, a former Ironman athlete, etc. The, the, the warning point for me was that I developed this chest pain, this tightness of chest and this chest pain. I mean, I'm telling you, I was short of breath walking up a few flights of, um, not a few flights, a few stairs and having a shower. It, it felt suffocating and I have never had that in my life. Um, so, I did have some evidence that, that you know, that, that I had this cytokine storm potentially beginning in my lungs. Um, and, that, you know, that tightness of the chest, the pain, I could literally feel it in, I could still feel it at times. Um, it's in my right, specifically in the right upper layer of my lung. When I took the hydroxychloroquine the first time, I took it on day seven when I spoke to a doctor. And I took it alongside the azithromycin which was what was used in the French trial. Um, it definitely seemed to help my chest symptoms. It definitely seemed to make my chest less tight, less um, wheezy. But as I said earlier, I feel like it made me, my muscle aches and fatigue and weakness worse. I also think it played a bit with my blood sugar levels. Um, and, and, and that's what it can do as well. So if you're like me, prone to like liking keto, specifically in the day, or, or more like low carb, uh, I, was, I felt less, I felt a bit wobbly, as it were. I, so I took it for two days, and then I stopped. Um, and that was correlated with me having that sort of break when I felt better, then taking it too far, doing too much. I restarted it on day 15. Um, which was three days ago now. Um, I took it for, for two days, 200 milligrams twice a day, uh, with, again, the azithromycin. Felt very, like, wiped out, but my chest did improve. Um, I decided today not to take it anymore, um, which is probably because of the side effects. Like, I developed this, like, whirring pain in my ear, like, like... <sighs> And it would literally, literally kind of keep me awake a bit. It was quite, quite scary, actually. Um, but, you know, people have said to me, look, you can cope with side effects. You know, the problem here is your lungs. You need to protect your lungs. And this drug is protecting your lungs. But it has, you know, it's not, it's not a, it's not a paracetamol. It's not acetaminophen. You know, it does have side effects in some people. So, um Yes, I, I have to just, just caution people because we've all read the stories of people taking, you know, Trump's advice and then drinking like fish cleaner, fish tank cleaner, which contains chloroquinone. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys, you've got to have, you know, this is a drug, it's a medicine. It, it should be, um, it, you know, should have some medical guidance around it. Um, but it seems to be, I have a lot of promising evidence, um, a lot of promising data, but I think if, you have access to it and that you are at potentially at risk from a more severe form of this illness, then starting it earlier than, rather than later is a good idea. The other things that are helpful, as I said, are steam showers. Um, you've probably seen Ben Greenfield 
who I love but can't watch at the moment because he makes me think of all the things I can't do, um, is he's been nebulizing, which is like a device. It's <laughs> um, a device you buy on Amazon that you just put over your face and you can put colloidal silver or uh, I don't know what else he's been nebulizing, saline and all sorts of other bits and bobs. And that can help the breathing if you have any asthma or any other breathing complications. You know, salbutamol, um, I don't know what you call it over there, Ventolin, uh, can be very helpful to open up the airways. Um, but for me, I didn't use it because I'm trying to avoid stimulants. Um, as I've said, trying to avoid, you know, caffeine because I felt for it much, it affected me much more, uh, pseudoephedrine, things like that, because I think we need all the reserves we can to rest. And if we're taking something to falsely raise our energy levels, then that is potentially detracting from the strength of our immune response yeah i mean let's 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 talk about the broader things that you've tried on all the protocols and the pros and cons there but one thing that struck me was the the pain uh the the body aches and i know that's not coming in lightly from someone who is a former uk ironman champion triathlons are some of the most painful endurance uh events how does covid compare I'm sure you've had colds and flus in the past. How much more painful was this than some of the other experiences that you've had in your life, whether on the athletic side or on the illness side? How does the, how does the pain that I experienced compare to that? Um, it was it was a very different kind of pain. It was very much in the insertions in my hips and in my lower back. I I kind of um, I, it's kind of akin to what I think that it would ex- like a rheumatoid arthritis would feel like. Um, where the actual just total like inflammation, like hot pain, as it were. Yeah. Just from a takeaway best practices tips perspective, obviously it sounded like you were cautious in the weeks leading up to mid-March when you had the initial symptoms. I mean, we talked a little bit about best practice around being physically isolated, try not to prevent exposure as much as possible but um anything else beyond kind of the basic common sense around potentially masks washing hands etc uh at this point would you have told yourself you know tam of two weeks ago uh what would you have told her you know would would it just been like hey get out of london at the end of february would it be what would have been what, what would you tell yourself from two weeks ago I would have told myself that I should have, yeah, isolated or uh, myself a lot earlier. Um, I would have told myself to go to bed early, to probably avoid drinking, avoid drinking alcohol. Um, and I, I don't drink a lot, but I would have probably like cut down from my like small glass of wine a night to not drinking much at all because of its effect on the liver, um, which is taxed, especially when you're taking all these medicines. Um I would have told myself to speak to less people um, and to really focus on 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 getting better and and my own immunity. That would probably be it. And then, how's your daughter doing? I'm curious from your experience with your family. I mean, it seems like kids aren't as affected as much. Is that the case with your daughter? I mean, are you worried? I mean, obviously, you know, you guys are co isolated together. Any thoughts there? Yeah, people have asked me this quite a lot, and. Um, you know, from my from my experience and talking to different doctors, it seems that kids just are so robust with this virus. Um, 
they literally get it. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that my daughter has had it. You know, she had one night of fever and a little cough. Um, but literally, you know, that was it. it you know, she, and she has that. It was nothing out of the ordinary. It would, and that was two weeks ago. I think she might have even given it to me. Her dad has been quite sick. Um, you know, she might have been one of those people that, 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 that gave me an exposure because she, you know, they're carriers, children. They run around, they go to schools that... You know, they're involved with a lot of um, a lot of uh, exposure. Um, so, but she has been absolutely, you know, symptom-free. My au pair has been very tired. She's had sore throat. She's had muscle aches. Touch wood, she hasn't had any chest pains. Um, and my housemate, who has also been in isolation, has had very minor symptoms too. Um, he was allowed to get a test um, and he will have a result very soon after I tested positive because they're restricting these tests. Um, so we, we will see. But, you know, people's symptoms, we just can't, as I said earlier, we can't predict who's going to be affected as much. You know, some some quite unhealthy people have, have really bounced back very quickly from this. Um, so, yeah. But uh, Dr. Tommy Wood, who I spoke to before this call, um, who... Have you had him on the show yet or not? We we taped something with him, but it's going to go live shortly. Okay. Well, Tommy's one of my favorite people and we talk a lot and I've learned a lot from him because he's like a metabolic genius. Um, and his theory is that, and we should talk about this because a, a lot of your listeners are, you know, I don't know, sorry, I shouldn't say, I don't like to put people in boxes, but, you know, the, it's typical of a biohacker community to be, you know, very sort of very driven, very perfectionist, looking at your diet, your all the aspects of your life. And actually that can be stressful in and of itself. And we do know that overexercise is suppressive, suppressive to the, the immune system. There's this, 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 you know, the curve is, you know, too much is, is too much and it can end up doing harm. And I think, um, and that, that's what's, what's happened to me, not specifically with the amount of exercise I do now, but a, a history of, you know, chronic um, endurance exercise. Um, so I think we need to be mindful that those individuals potentially could be more at risk from having um, a, more, a more moderate to severe form of this illness because we're more likely to go back to our, to our activities quicker. Um, we're more likely to just push through rather than actually taking time out um, and resting. Yeah, I think that's actually really spot on advice. I think this is not the time to be trying to set a new personal record this is not the time to overexert your system i mean anything any of the energy reserve we can maintain for the immune function we should we should try to reserve for that especially if we might have high likelihood of being exposed to 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 the virus so i think that is, that is definitely spot on and i'm not making that up you know there, there are there are studies that have been shown now with you know, individuals after after races when you you know who are developing myocarditis, which is inflammation in the heart tissue, um, and that that is basically you're in a really vulnerable position after any hard exercise. And I'm not talking like you know a 30 minute hit session in the gym. I'm talking about if you're doing you're still doing your half marathons, you're still doing your long run, you're still you know if you're not replenishing after these activities, you will be more vulnerable to an infection both in that period. And also your recovery from any infection that you do get. I've, there's been some interesting um, research I got sent through around, you know, because we're all talking about supplements, immune health, how do we boost this, how do we boost that? I mean, 
I was a supplement, you know, I was taking high doses of vitamin C, zinc, organo oil, N-acetylcysteine, curcumin, fish oil. You know, uh, theoretically, I was as, I had really low levels of inflammation in my body. Why have I suddenly become super inflamed? We, we just don't know. So listen, the supplements potentially might help, but they are in and of itself not enough. So, you know, the, the, the lifestyle measures and, um, you, you know, measures to really calm your nervous system are, are, are very important in this, in, in, in kind of getting your immune system to come into line um, rather than just chucking down a load of supplements, you know. I think it's probably worth mentioning as well because you know how much of a fan I am of the ketonester and I would literally beg Boa or steal to get some of them right now. <laughs> yeah, we got. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that after the program. We got to send you a care package. Thank you. Ours are all stuck somewhere, but um, it, it is interesting because you know Brianna texted me after she saw my Instagram video, like I told you, and she said, "Look, you, you know, this isn't. This is legit. You know, these are not just um, drinks that support your performance, as a lot of people think. They are. They have you know medicinal benefits of, of modifying this immune response, which is essentially key." to um, preventing this cytokine um, storm, to preventing all the effects that I have experienced, like all this heavy joint aches, muscle fatigue, exhaustion. So I found a bottle yeah, um, this morning, and I had half a bottle this morning, and I it's definitely had an effect. So, um, you know, that's end of one, one morning, but, you know, I'll take anything I can get right now. And um, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it's good to hear. I think obviously very, very speculative. We don't want to you know, overclaim what's there, but there's definitely some interesting mechanisms of, of action around the anti-inflammatory modulation effects of beta-hydroxybutyrate, uh, which, as you referenced, might have some implications to the second phase of a COVID-19 presentation with ARDS and cytokine storm. So that is definitely an area of research that some clinicians and folks are looking at at the very, very front line. So work to be done to, to, to prove out the mechanism, but definitely some reasonable mechanisms of why this could be helpful. Yeah, for sure. And even if you don't get the severe symptoms, you know, a lot of people are suffering from the joint aches and pains and, um, you know, some version of, um, of, of respiratory symptoms, which if it can help, then then all good. Um, what really has helped as well, as I said, is like Epsom salt baths, steam showers, really really getting extra magnesium into, into your lungs, uh, into your body. And, and also that helps relaxation because one of the things that is inhibiting our ability to recover from this virus is the stress response, the, the anxiety that comes with it. And in the first stages of the illness, I was getting like sweaty palms, my t-shirts were all wet, you know, I was sweating, and which is the sign of an overactive sympathetic nervous system response. And, you know, that that can have a negative effect on how well you recover. So anything you can do to kind of calm down um, is certainly helpful. And, you know, boring, boring as it is, sometimes meditation, breath work, um, hot cold therapy, if you're well enough, really can help. Um, with this immune system regulation. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely something that is going to be high priority. And I know it's a stressful time for a lot of folks. Just, I mean, the health side is scary in of itself. And then the economic situation where I know a lot of friends, a lot of folks are being furloughed, being laid off. So it is definitely a scary time. So I don't think anyone's 
saying, hey, don't stress out because there's a lot of good reason to stress out. But things I think, as you mentioned, are good personal practices. They try to just at least modulate and, and ameliorate that stress, even though we have to be a little bit more reactionary about it than, than we typically would want to be. I mean, so at this point, it sounds like you're on the... Uh, you're through on the kind of the the deepest side of it and it looks like you're on your way to full recovery here anything you're especially you're doing whether on the nutrition side sounds like you're spending a lot of time trying to reduce stress anything that's been particularly helpful other than the things you've already mentioned nutrition wise yeah nutrition wise you know we've, we've all heard the stories that sugar's evil and um that we shouldn't be having sugar because it's inflammatory, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think, yeah, be very mindful of um, any re refined sugars. A lot of people are drinking too much alcohol at the moment to manage anxiety, which can have a, uh, a negative impact as well. So um, less than encouraging really like antioxidant-rich diet, um, good good fats, good olive oil. I'm craving a lot of very dense green olive oil. I like a really Greek one. Um I have a lot of, you know, bitters like in lemons and limes. I have my smoothie every morning, which is, um, which is frozen fruit, berries, um, uh, some goat, sheep, whey powder, some greens powder, um, some grass-fed, um, uh, sorry, some some collagen. Sometimes I put some grass-fed butter in there, um, and that pretty much keeps me going. Like pretty much nearly till dinner time at six. Um, it's quite a heavy one. I also have, I'm obsessed with, um, I've switched to decaf coffee and I have um, collagen in my coffee. I also have hemp milk, which is basically a coconut cream and or coconut cream. So those kind of things I think help. Um, you know, it depends on your, your, your dietary preferences because, you know, soups are very comforting, very warming. You can get things like ginger and turmeric and lots of root vegetables in there. Bone broths, if, you, um, if, if you're not vegetarian, I, I think I want that. You know, I haven't been to the supermarket or been able to get any organic, um, organic meat, but that's on the agenda. And theoretically, that would be good. Manuka honey is some good... Good research behind manuka honey and ginger and licorice root and all of those things. But, um, you know, it, I, I think try and do your best, though. I think if we eat mindfully um, and I think if we eat a very, you know, a colorful diet with um, with good quality ingredients, I think that can very that can help nourish us for sure. You know, people are talking a lot about the, the microbiome and how the, micro, the gut health affects your um how it affects your immune system. So being being mindful there and avoiding things that might um, affect your, uh, that, that negatively affect your, your gut health. Yeah. It sounds like you're being really smart around the nutrition side. And then on, on the activity side, I think you had a very smart word of caution around getting too aggressive too early with fitness, with activity. But it sounds like you've been still incorporating some breath work, some of the meditation side. Is that something that you'll lightly dip your toes back into maybe some yoga or some mobility work? How are you thinking about the activity side as you're coming through on the other side of, of, of COVID? Yeah. I'm a big fan of a guy called Richie Bostock, who's a breath guy on, um, on, on Instagram and he's been doing Instagram live sessions. Um, and even when I wasn't able to breathe and I almost brought me to tears because, you know, I'm being a type A individual and everyone else is breathing and then I couldn't breathe. And I text Richie and said, I can't breathe. And he's like, just do the meditation and just lie, just be, listen to the music. So I've been doing that. Um, 
I do work with him personally as well, and I think it's been it's been transformational in my um in helping my personal journey and recovery. Um, uh, I've been doing some of Joe Dispenza's meditation. He's someone whom I've learned a lot from. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, I met him at a conference a couple of years back. Yeah, and and also I've been doing some light yoga because I just you know I woke up this morning I was so stiff and so achy and um, you know part of that is the residual inflammation and some light yoga can really help with that. Yeah, that makes sense to get the blood flowing a little bit, get the lymph nodes and lymphatic system flowing a little bit. It sounds like it's, you know, again, I think you're you're very, I think, astute on the other side. Don't, you know, overdo it. But it sounds sensible that a little bit of breath work, a little bit of mobility work, get that lymph system flowing a little bit just to help clear out some of the, the gunk as, as you're just, you know, recovering. Seems like a very reasonable starting position as you're getting back into the flow of things. And you know I'm a sauna addict, so being out of that lovely sauna has been difficult. So I, what arrived yesterday was this uh, zip-up portable infrared sauna. Um, I have to send you a picture. I'll put it on Instagram. I haven't put it on yet. Um, it was really interesting because you get in there and you you know after half an hour you're dripping with sweat. I'm like this is this is cool, um, but you have to be mindful then that you're losing electrolytes. Blah blah blah. So yeah. Well, again, thanks so much for walking this. Yeah, no, this is super helpful. And I think we'll get this out as soon as possible, given the timeliness of this information. So, Zill, we're going to be popping this to the front of the queue here. So, for folks that want to follow along Tam's journey and recovery and, and her updates here, I know you're fairly, you're getting you're getting back active on social. So, you're at Sporty Doc, right? S-P-O-R-T-I-E-D-O-C. Uh, anywhere else that people should stay tuned and follow along? I think um, I can only manage one social media outlet at the moment. So um, yeah, I'll try with Instagram. All right. So follow Tam on Instagram, Sporty Doc. Hope you have a great weekend here and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much, Tam. See you guys. Lots of love. Stay well. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the HVMN Podcast. If you're interested to learn more about HVMN and our offerings, visit hvmn.com slash pod. If you're tuning in on audio platforms like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd super appreciate an honest review. Please remember to subscribe. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please give this video a like. And remember to hit that bell to get notified whenever we post. We also have a dedicated Discord server, which you can join by first taking a short survey, and then I'll personally send you an invite to join the community there. The link to that survey will be in the description, along with any other relevant links. We appreciate your continued support, and we'll see you all next week.